to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shawflam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And I am Daphne Yang. I'm a certified personal trainer, certified nutrition counselor, and the creator of Hit It, New York's ultimate high-intensity interval training workout. Before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. We are so excited. Daphne might pee herself because I just might. <laughs> she's so excited to welcome our guest today, Isabel Fox and Duke. Hi, Isabel. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me here. We are so excited to have you here. I have literally been looking forward to this um, since we started emailing and the fact that you are here on our podcast. I'm like in total disbelief. So thank you for taking the time to be on Just One More. My pleasure. I'm so pumped. Let's do it. <laughs> well, um, so uh, let's start with the basics. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> so as you said, my name is Isabel Fox and Duke, um, and I help women stop feeling crazy around food. Um, that's sort of my tagline. That's, you know, kind of the only way that I can describe really what I do, because that's how I felt you know, for so long in my own relationship with food. And I think that that's really, you know, the culture that we live in really encourages people to, you know, be constantly dieting, be constantly thinking about their weight, be constantly thinking about, uh, you know, okay, eat this, don't eat that. Uh, you know, what's healthy, what's not healthy, you know, all of this. And, you know, there are obviously lots of great things about the health world. Obviously, we both work in the health world. Um, but there are a lot of also, you know, really, I think, mentally and emotionally challenging things that, that you know, go on, especially when it comes to diet culture and a culture that is really just obsessed with thinness and weight control. So, you know, I, I came to this from my own personal experience. I had been dieting since I was three years old. That was why I was put on my first diet when I was three. You know, anyone who's listened to any of my podcasts in the past will know that from my story. Um, and... Yeah, like basically my entire life, I was on this diet binge, diet binge, yo-yo dieting, weight up, weight down, weight up, weight down roller coaster that I think the vast majority of women who are, you know, quote unquote, weight conscious or concerned about their weight are, are dealing with most of the time. Um, so yeah, when I was, you know, I mean, if you, I mean, I'll, that's, that's what I do and, you know. <laughs> What I what I really help women with is is sort of ending this kind of tumultuous, volatile, you know, okay, tr okay, I'm today's day one. I'm gonna try never to eat X Y Z again, or I'm gonna you know only eat this amount, or I'm gonna only eat the, this times, or I'm gonna only eat this way, or whatever it is, only to kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak. And um, for me, you know, I ended up having sort of ever increasing just binge eating episodes, you know, and just feeling like you know I was I when I felt off the wagon, you know, it just got uglier and uglier and uglier in quotes every time. Um, so yeah, so that's really what I help women with after a long period of dealing with this myself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope we can, we'll definitely talk a little bit more in depth. I think about my story and kind of how, uh, I got myself out of that mess. Cause I think that that's something that is a constant struggle for people is like, how do I stop obsessing about my weight? How do I finally, you know, quote unquote, get my food under control, which is a little bit of a weird sentence that I, I would love to talk about today. And um, yeah, and just like dealing with kind of that mania around weight and food that, that so many women, unfortunately, are dealing with on a day to day basis in our culture. 
So where do you put yourself, like, in terms, if you have to, like, put a word on, like, your occupation? Do you consider yourself a coach? Are you a dietitian? Like, where where do you fit yourself in that world of sort of people who talk to people about food and diet culture and weight and stuff? I am a certified health coach, although, quite frankly, most of the things that I teach I did not learn in school. Um, I, you know, pretty much everything that I talk about with clients are things that I learned through, like, some sort of mentorship relationship, some sort of reading or education of my own accord, or through my own personal experience. I mean, I had some very, very, very deep realizations at different points along the path of my recovery from diet binge cycling and my recovery from binge eating that kind of ultimately. I had never read anywhere else before. And that's a big part of the reason why I got into this industry was because there is so much misinformation and there's so much, quite frankly, like harmful and dangerous things happening, even in, you know, the clinical world. I mean, certainly, you know, I think there's a lot of problematic things about, you know, the clinical nutrition world and a lot of, um, you know, ways in which uh, sort of the industry of clinical nutrition is kind of corrupted by all these various things, blah, blah, blah. We can get into that if you want. Um, but ultimately, you know, I ended up in, in eating disorder treatment for binge eating disorder at one point, And I still had an incredibly difficult time getting the treatment that I actually needed to recover because of weight discrimination in the me- medical system, because of all sorts of, you know, sort of different problematic things that are happening in our culture that really keep people from getting um, accurate information about the subject matter. And that's starting to change. Um, But yeah, a big part of the reason that I started doing the work that I did was because I was kind of coming to realizations and information that was not mainstream, that was not publicly available at the time, really at all. Um, And I was like, you know, I thought it was kind of like my duty for this information publicly. And so I started writing a blog. That was really how I got started. I mean, I'd already done a coaching certification and I was working for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition at the time. Um, But I, you know, I started a blog and very, and basically the blog was, you know, about letting go of dieting and restrictions around food and sort of having this realization that every time I would try to control my food, right, every time I would start like a day one, it was only a matter of time before I would have this massive rebellion, this massive binge eating episode, you know, it could be four months later, it could be four days later, it could be four hours later. Um, But it was like, it was like inevitable. It was like every time that I, you know, tried to squeeze my body into a shape that it didn't want to be, which I, I didn't have the language to under, to really think about it that way. At the time, I was just, I'm just trying to stick to my diet. I'm just trying to stick to my food plan. I'm just trying to do X, Y, Z, right thing with food. I'm just trying to control my food. I just want to get my food under control. Every time I would try to get my food under control, every time I would try to get it under my thumb, however that was, whatever the strategy was at that point in time, you know, whether that was you know, eating some sort of like kind of more traditional diety type thing, which I was certainly doing in high school and when I was younger. But even in the context of, you know, binge eating recovery, even after having been in rehab for disordered eating, I was still after that constantly trying to control don't eat emotionally, don't eat, you know, at this certain point in time, don't eat, um, don't eat, 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 don't eat. Like that was the constant stream of thinking in my head was like, how can I eat as little as possible to try to make my body look the way that I think it should? Um, and like how, what new rule or what new philosophy or what new strategy can I apply to my eating? 
um, in order to kind of make it look right, make it go my way. Right. And I mean, again, I could take this into anything. I could take it into you must eat mindfully. You must chew your food. You must sit down at the table. You must not eat standing up at the fridge. I mean, it could be anything. It does not necessarily have to be, you know, you know, being on Atkins or Weight Watchers or, you know, these sort of mainstream typical diets that people generally think of when we hear the word diet. You know, it's really any way that we try to exert control over our food for the purpose of trying to exert control over our bodies. Totally. Um, um, you talked about, um, in talking about how you can get these um, really damaging messages from the medical community, even people who are purporting to be trying to help you. I mean, that's, um, from what I've heard you talk about before, that's part of the beginning of your story, right? When you talk about being put on a diet when you were three, that was at the recommendation of a doctor. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly, yes, that's right. When I was three years old, I was high on the baby BMI scale. So Which I guess is, I was a chubby like, baby. The fact that that even exists blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. The BMI <laughs> scales exist for babies too. It, and that was exactly my parallel as well. And so, um, Isabel, when I heard your story for the very first time, the similarities were absolutely crazy. And, and then by you being vulnerable and sharing your story, I'm sure it has it made me and it's made probably hundreds of thousands of other women feel so not alone. But my story started at three years old also, and it was because of being high on the baby BMI scale. And my parents were just trying their best to just be amazing parents to help me manage my weight as a toddler and as an elementary school student to spare me a lifetime of, of pain and of um, being ostracized and being maybe made fun of. But in the end, it ended up, uh, you know, and I've had wonderful conversations with them now, um, it ended up being incredibly damaging. So I... I definitely want to talk about like your entire story. And like I said, like so many parallels from starting at three, um, I first realized that I could be bulimic with ice cream around age 10. And like, that was the exact same thing that happened to you. Yeah. And, that's um, literally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even down to wanting to be thin, like the Olsen twins <laughs> Just starting college at the exact same time. Um, and in a little bit, I do want to talk about, you know, how I found you and, um, how you've helped, me and, and so many people, because I've told so many people about you um, in terms of healing, but going back to age three, your whole story, I'd love for you to share it with all of our listeners and um, talk about your story and your journey and also your, your own personal healing process. Yeah. Well, so, so starting at this age of three, I was put on my first diet. So, so uh, like you, right. And I think that this is increasingly common that little kids are, you know, really kids as young as the ages of like four and five now are commonly going on diets, right? And commonly, you know, thinking about things like, you know, I, I want to be thin. They're more afraid of becoming fat, right, than they are of losing a parent or of cancer, right? And, and that's actually, you know, it's just a wild statistic to think about, right? I mean, I think that we really as a culture just take for granted like of course fat's bad like of course i want to be thin but like that is wild to think about how intense that is that kids are really more afraid of being fat than they are of losing a parent or cancer um and so you know i was certainly in that category i just constantly felt like there was something wrong with my body i always was i always felt a little bit bigger than my friends and that wasn't okay and i really really attached myself to this narrative that if I could 
you know, lose weight if I could control my body, like everything would be awesome. And I would just be the happiest person and like rainbows and unicorns would pop out from the sky. Like I really just thought like, you know, oh, like all the, you know, cute boys will like me and all the girls will want to be me. And like, you know, all of those things, I think all those sort of statusy things that our culture really teaches us about weight. Like I just thought that like everything I could possibly want as a child, as an adult, as a human, as a woman, as a girl, right? I just thought that everything I could possibly want was like five pounds away at all times, right? And as I got older, that number, that five pound number would change, right? It could be 30, it could be, you know, it could be whatever the the, the number was. Um, and I had, you know, pretty, for a high schooler, I had quite intense weight fluctuations because of all the screwing around that I did with food. So that number really did change. But, you know, as I got older, you know, I remember the first diet that I was put on by my doctor, my pediatrician told my mom basically to put me on a low carb diet. So, you know, very low carb. Um, I did kind of slim out as a child, but I did not feel like it. I still felt like I wasn't thin enough. Um, and in, I, I think it was like fifth grade when I started to develop you know, kind of more really clinical eating disordered behaviors. Fifth grade was when I discovered purging, right? And fifth grade is so young. Like I look at fifth graders now and I'm like, oh my God. Like I was, I was, you know, I was purging in fifth grade. I was doing everything I could to try to skip meals in fifth grade. I mean, I was really, I was really exhibiting clinical, clinical eating disorder behaviors at that point in time. And I think that's younger than a lot of parents even think to look. Um, yeah. Unless they've had that experience themselves. I think parents and teachers in fifth grade, they're still thinking of um, fifth graders as like kids with kid problems um, and not realizing that these ideas about diet and body size are kid problems. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that people really don't recognize how young that this stuff actually really starts. And the thing is, is like once I got in middle school, it was so solidified. Like once I got to the age where I was really like developing and people were like maybe starting to talk about eating disorders, but not really. Um, like that is had already been going on for a, several years, you know, Um so yeah, so this continued like sort of all through middle school, they sort of clinical eating disorder period. And then I was like, by, I think I was by the time I was in seventh grade, I mean, I always thought of myself as a, I don't, I didn't use the word binge eater. Like I didn't have that language, but I always felt like if I didn't actively sit on my hands trying not to eat, I would just eat the whole world. Mm -hmm. Like I always felt like my appetite was insatiable. And if I didn't actively try to control it, I would just eat and eat and eat and eat and like end up like, you know, that Violet Beauregard, sometimes I call her Veronica Blueberry, from Willy <laughs> Wonka, from Willy Wonka. Like I just, I really felt like it would just, if I didn't, actively stop myself if I didn't actively put on some sort of control mechanism it would just I would just eat everything there would be no stopping I'd be like the black hole of Wait, that's such food a consumption that's such a gendered thing too I think women are taught in our culture in like all areas of your life to like not have appetites like you're not supposed to be hungry you're not supposed to want sex you're not supposed to want attention you're not supposed to want to be heard um, and that just like, I think for a lot of women, that um, sense of like, I'm not supposed to want things gets channeled into food because that's the thing that as a young person you have any control over um, or you feel like you might have control over it. But yeah, like hearing you talk about it, uh, it relates to like 
for me to so many other areas of my life as well that like we're su- we're supposed to not want stuff we're not supposed to be hungry literally or metaphorically yeah i think that that's true i mean i think that and i and i it, it is i think that it's partially gendered and partially you know i think that it is people of all genders experience this in our culture you know for a variety of reasons like we live in sort of this like industrial like conform, we live conform, in a conform. controlling yeah we live in a highly highly controlling culture um and so yeah there are absolutely gendered elements to it and there's no doubt that women experience it in a different way than than men or you know uh, I'll say men. Um, but it's, it is, yeah. Like I think I experienced that, you know, to your point, I experience it today around my work life. I experience it today. I mean, like I experience it today in so many other areas. It's like, I feel like once I really realized like, Oh, control around food and body doesn't work that all that control stuff started to come up in other areas of my life. And I definitely want to chat about that <laughs> at the end of the story. Cause that's really the end of the story. Like that's where the end of the story really went for me after I healed my relationship with food was realizing all the different dysfunctional things that I used to do with food. I do in all these different other areas of my life. Um, but yeah, so, you know, as a kid, you know, it sort of just got kind of worse and worse and worse. The binge eating really, you know, this, this reactionary feeling of, you know, so I was constantly trying to deprive myself. And then on the flip, I was constantly losing control, right? Or like, re- you know, fully reacting to that deprivation. You know, it's like, there's only so long you can sit on your, you can try to starve yourself basically before you're going to completely like just, you know, lose it on your kitchen cupboards, you know, and just like, whoosh, I would just like race through the kitchen. I mean, there was nothing, nothing could hold me back. I would eat, you know, jar. I remember eating, standing in front of the refrigerator, eating jars of jam like raspberry jam just with a spoon or like, you know, peanut butter. I mean, whatever it was, like just the highest calorie thing I could get my hands on basically. And the the most discreet thing that I could get my hands on, right? Because in my mind, it was like so shameful to be falling off the wagon in this way. Like, you know, the, the, my um, email opt-in on my website is, you know, how to not eat chocolate cake, standing up really fast when nobody's looking, right? Because that was my experience, right? Like my experience was, oh my gosh, it's a birthday. We're all going to have dinner. Maybe I'll have a piece of the cake. Maybe I won't. But then like after everyone, you know, leaves the table, like later that night, like I'm going to go into the kitchen and I'm going to unpeel, I'm going to quietly unpeel the aluminum foil off of the cake and like just take little slivers like hoping no one notices, but then, you know, by and large, like it would always end up that my mother would wake up the next morning and be like, Isabel, did you eat half of this cake last night? You know? And so, you know, and of course just feeling just horrible about myself, like just so, yeah, just like the shame around it was so bad. And, and, and I think again, the binges got more and more and more intense as the restriction got more and more intense. So as like I'm kind of going through middle school and I have a little bit more control over my food than I did as a child, right? Like, you know, my, my mom worked full time. I had babysitters and like, you know, I was just sort of very often in charge of my own meals. And, you know, again, as I grew up, that became more and more the case. And so I would screw around more, you know, I would skip stuff. I would, you know, eat, like try to eat super, super weird diety, low caloric meals and, you know, just, just constantly screwing around with my food from a restrictive perspective and then falling off the wagon. And again, the more intense the restriction got, the more intense the binge eating episodes got, right? Or the more intense these sort of reactionary ripping through your cupboards, eating everything that isn't nailed down, going to the deli corner store around the corner, like buying 
whatever the hell it was that I could, you know, wanted to buy, you know. And so, um, and then like day one starts tomorrow, like I'm just, you know, might as well just eat everything that isn't nailed down. And then, you know, tomorrow I swear I'm going to get this under control. And, and even my own clients, they come to me being like, you know, it's funny, I signed, you know, I signed the contract on our coaching program and I went and binged because I was so convinced that Isabel was going to fix me tomorrow, you know, and like, that's a huge, you know, that was a huge part of it was this sort of like day one starts tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to get it under control, tomorrow I'm going to really get a handle on this. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So as I um, moved through high school, you know, this got more and more intense. I was having really intense weight fluctuations as a high schooler, which I'm amazed that like, I mean, people noticed, especially when I gained weight. Like when I gained weight, it was a problem. When I lost weight, everyone was like, yay, you're so doing such a good job, you know. But, you know, over the course of high school, I probably gained, I don't know, 45, 50 pounds, something like that between my freshman and senior year of high school. And I just remember, like, just, I mean, high school was so tough for me because I remember coming in with, like, a fair amount of, like, thin privilege and status and everyone thought I was really cute and, like, oh, my gosh, what are you wearing and da-da-da-da. And then it was, like, over the course of a 50-pound in, it was, like, that all disappeared. Um, and every, I, was, I felt like I was treated really differently. And I think that I, more importantly, I was treating myself, I mean, not more importantly, but equally, I was also treating myself so differently. I mean, I just hated my, you know, I just hated myself and I just couldn't believe I like, I quote unquote, let this happen, right? Like that was a big narrative for me. I can't believe you've let this happen. What is wrong with you? And that's when I really, you know, started to, I was, I, this was pre-internet pretty much. I mean, the internet was there, but it was pre like the way the internet is now. And so I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would go to the health and wellness section of Barnes and Noble. And I would obsessively like try to learn about, you know, what's the next thing that's going to finally get me thin, right? Like, what is it? Is it veganism? Is it Atkins? Is it da da da? Is it, what is the thing that's going to finally work? What is this? What is the ultimate solution? It's got to exist. It's got to exist. There's got to be a diet that works, right? Or that I can do that's going to save my life. And somehow along those lines, I discovered, like, I think it was like Overcoming Overeating or one of these books, which by the way, I don't really recommend. But that was <laughs> when I, but that was when I first re like ha discovered this language of like, oh, that's my problem. I'm a compulsive overeater. That's my problem. I'm an emotional eater. I eat my feelings. I'm a food addict in quotes, right? Like that, that must be why. I can't control my food. That must be why I can't stick to my diet. That must be why I'm the size that I am. And you know, this is it, right? Like I was like, oh my gosh, I, I found it. If I can get a handle on my quote, compulsive overeating, I'll be saved. And this was, I was maybe, I was like 17, 18, 19. I mean, like that was the age really, you know, 17, 18, when I kind of discovered this language and I uh, really, you know, sort of clung to it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And I, and it was like the new, the new goal became quote unquote, overcoming binge eating, overcoming binge eating became the thing that was going to like save my life and make me thin. And like unicorns and rainbows were going to fall out of the sky. And not only did that become the new, like kind of thing that I thought was going to make me thin and change everything. I also really began to pathologize myself. Like oh, like you are a binge eater. There's something wrong with you. There's something fundamentally different about you than other people. And you just can't eat like normal people in quotes can eat. And I really, really internalized that narrative. 
Fast forward a little bit. At some point, you know, of course, couldn't get control of the binge eating in quotes. Of course, I was just like, you know, just still doing the same old of just trying to control my food, basically trying to diet with another terminology, uh, essentially. And um, eventually was just like, screw this. I don't care. Nothing's working. And I started like chowing on speed and appetite suppressing drugs and you know, I was just like, I was in college. I was like, finally in college. I was like, this is my last chance to like be popular and have a boyfriend. Like, you know, like that was sort of the attitude at the time. And I was like, I don't care what it takes. I'm doing this. I'm gonna, I'm, I don't, you know, even if it's dangerous, I don't care. And so, yeah, I started really screwing around with some pretty intense drugs. I mean, I was, I was using Coke. I was, I mean, I was doing whatever stimulant I could get my hands on to suppress my appetite. Hint, if you need to suppress your appetite to like maintain your weight or like to lose weight, like th this is an issue, like this is a problem, like that's not normal or healthy. Um, and so, yeah, I was just taking all these appetite suppressants. I lost 45 pounds, something like that in literally three months over the course, it was between the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And three months after that, I was kicked out of school and sent to rehab. I mean, it was pretty fast. You hand those kinds of drugs to somebody who already has a raging, you know, disordered eating problem pff, is donezo, right? So I ended up in treatment and immediately in the intake office at the treatment center, you know, I was doing my intake, like they're asking me questions, doing like my therapizing or whatever. And I was not resistant. I was not one of those 19 year olds who was like, man, I don't want to go to rehab. I was like, please send me to rehab, like fix me. I don't want it. To, I know I can't take drugs for the rest of my life. Please teach me how to control my weight without drugs. Like, please t fix my quote binge eating problem. Like that was really, you know, I was desperate. I, I think that really, I think I really got into drugs because I was just like, was like a, no one was paying attention to how much I was struggling until I started to do drugs. And it was like me saying to the world, like, please do something. I think it was a call for help at the end of the day. So I ended up in treatment and I said straight up to the intake people, I was like, I will stop doing drugs tomorrow if you can teach me how to control my weight without them. If you can teach me how to be a normatively thin person without them, I will never do drugs again. I guarantee you, I promise that. And um, so they were like, okay, we're putting you in the eating disorder treatment program. And so, yeah, I, you know, went through the like six week program Think, and this was like a, you know, fancy schmancy, like, you know, my parents were like throwing money at the problem, like God knows, you know, and um, I remember thinking, this is so awesome. I'm going to have a normal relationship with food in six weeks. And <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and um and so, of course, you know, I go into treatment, I, you know, get clean and they put me on effectively a meal plan, which I don't even really think was a suitable meal plan realistically for me. I don't know exactly how much I was eating in treatment, but based on what I know now about clinical treatment and based on what I know now about the amounts of foods that people really need to be eating and all these different things, I'm pretty sure um, that I wasn't even really getting as much as I needed in rehab. Um, and yeah, I ended up leaving rehab and I thankfully did not relapse into drugs. Like I had enough foresight to be like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. Um, and at this point I was kind of normatively thin still, right? I was still at my, you know, pretty, I maybe gained a little bit of weight, but I was still at that thinner size, that thinner end of the spectrum when I got out of rehab. Um, and so I was like, okay, you just got to do what you got to do to just maintain this weight, right? And I just, again, it just became this new type of 
just don't binge, just don't this, just don't eat emotionally, and you know, kind of still struck just follow your meal plan which didn't really work like just like it was still this like controlling like okay just try to get it together you're clean now you're pretty thin just try try not to lose it you know and um i uh you know and also you know very quickly thereafter you know when i was in rehab um, it was, you know, most rehabs in this country are like 12 step based. It was a, it was, um, uh, they, it was, it was one of those rehabs where they treat multiple different issues. So they had like, you know, a trauma pro- program and a drugs and alcohol and a substance abuse program and an ED program. And I was in the dual diagnosis for ED and, and, um, drugs and alcohol. So I very quickly, you know, was told go to meetings, you know, go to fellowship meetings, go to 12 step meetings, um, which, you know, for drugs and alcohol, you know, I don't really have an, a, a strong opinion about 12 step meetings. I think that they, I mean, they do a lot of great things for lots of people for food, highly problematic, highly, 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 highly problematic. Um, and so I went into OA and was, you know, basically just clinging for dear life to stick to whatever. Again, the thing was after a few months of basically being out of treatment, being like, okay, I can't do this by myself. I went back to OA after having uh, been Overeaters to- Anonymous, right? That's what yeah, OA stands so I for. To, yeah. I went to Overeaters Anonymous and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to, um, you know, I'm just gonna, uh, this is, this is the answer, right? Like I'm a binge eater, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater. I still had that narrative going on. Like, this is what I have to do. Like now you're out of treatment, you're clean. You just got to go to meetings, go to meetings, follow your meal plan. And in OA, you know, the meal plan can change, right? I mean, it depends on sort of the program you're in, but it's sort of, you get to kind of define your quote unquote abstinence. So it's like, you sort of like pick, you kind of pick your diet du jour, you know, you kind of pick whatever diet you want to pick to stick to, right? And it's, you know, there's no, um, you know, there's no clinicians there to be like, that's unsafe or that's not okay. And, you know, it's sort of the blind leading the blind, um, you know, in these rooms. And so, you know, I was doing different things. Like sometimes it was no flour, no sugar. Other times it was, you know, three meals with no snacks in between, you know, three meals and nothing in between. Sometimes it was, I mean, it was whatever, it was the same, it was the same, a little bit more foresight in the sense of like, don't go crazy. Like, you do have an eating disorder, like, don't go nuts, like, no drugs, like, don't fully not eat anything in a day, you know, like, there were, there was some, like, baseline foundational, don't go over the top with your behaviors, but for the most part, I was heavily encouraged to, like, pick a method of control and try to stick to it no matter what, and, like, get on my knees and pray to God anytime I wanted to eat outside of it. And that was sort of, you know, the message that I was getting in these 12-step rooms, right? It's an abstinence-based model of treatment. Abstinence meaning abstention, abstain from, you know, anything outside of your plan, any eating outside of your plan, which, by the way, you get to basically define for yourself, Um, which, yeah, is rough because I'm crazy. I can't define that for myself. Um, So... (laughs) So I ended up, yeah, just struggling in OA for a really, really long time. Couldn't string more than 30 days of abstinence together, right? That's another thing that's big in, in, you know, in Overeaters Anonymous is like your day count, right? Like how many days can you string together of not breaking your plan? Um, And I couldn't string more than 30 days together. You know, I mean, I remember the one time I was in and out of OA for three or four years. And I remember the one time I got 30 whole days and I was like, you did it. You, you did it. Right. I mean, usually I couldn't go a week. Usually, I mean, 
And it was, and I would, oh, you know, so I would be absent, be sticking to my whatever the hell plan it was that week. And then, um, you know, I would binge my brains out, right? Completely fall off the wagon, had some of the most intense binges that I'd ever had in my life. My, some of my worst binges I had ever had in my entire life were an Overeaters Anonymous because it really, every time I would fall off the wagon, I would, it was like psychologically I was really buying into, you're an addict, you've fallen off the wagon, you can't, you know, you can't control the, right, right, like you, you, um, you know, this is what happens to people like you. And so it was almost like I, I full, when I was off the wagon, I was off the wagon. Also, um, you're like literally like restarting that. a day count where it's like, well, yeah, I yeah, may yeah. as well, like what you were talking about that, like, yeah. well, day one starts tomorrow when yeah. you're literally counting days in a group of people that's counting days. Literally. Like an literally. even more intense day one. Literally. Yes. Yeah. Super, super intense. So I just like binge my brains out and then like, you know, raise my hand and be like, I'm restarting. I'm on day one today. And everyone would clap day one. Yes. Day one. Yeah. Like, good job. You know, yeah. Keep coming back, you know? And so, and this just went on for years and years. And then I remember I had one really, I was in, I went back to college. I went to Tufts in Boston. I went back to school, like, um, probably a, like a year and a half, you know, a little bit over a year after I got out of treatment. So I was already like kind of back in OA and I was like, okay, well, I got to keep going to meetings in Boston. And I met one of my closest friends to this day in the world in an OA meeting in Boston. And when we were in OA, I remember neither of us were, could get abstinent, right? But both of us were experiencing the same of just like trying to hold it together and then losing it and then trying to hold it together and then losing it. And at some point, I just remember her, like, she kind of, like, knocked me, you know, I remember we were, like, talking, we were, like, doing, you know, work together, like, you know, whatever. And she's like, you know, like, I, I heard about this book. It's called Breaking Free from Emotional Overeating, Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. And she's like, I don't know. She's like, there's something to it. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe this is the answer. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe we shouldn't be on meal plans. Maybe this intuitive eating thing. And that was my first introduction to quote unquote intuitive eating was Janine Roth, right? And so, and again, very problematic. Janine Roth has a lot of issues. I, I do not recommend her work either. Um, but she was a lot closer to the solution than I was currently uh, dealing with at that time, right? And so Janine Roth was sort of this like, you have hunger signals, you have a body that works, you know, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, and when you want to eat outside of that, don't, and you'll be thin. And so I was like, this is, and that was the message that I got from Janine Roth, and I was like, this, is, and event, at some point I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is actually the answer. Like, it makes no sense to be on a meal plan. It makes, this is not in alignment with what my body actually wants. Like, I, intuitive eating, or what I like to call at that time, what I was really doing, which is like the hunger and fullness diet, like just try to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and don't eat emotionally and blah, blah, blah. Um, that was my, um, you know, that, that was like the new, that became like kind of the new thing. And then of course I would struggle with that. I wouldn't, I would binge on that because you know, if I, what if I wasn't hungry and what if I would eat emotionally, then I would be off the wagon because I ate emotionally and then I would binge and like, you know, I struggled with that also. I struggled with sort of the Janine Roth style of intuitive eating as well for a long time. Um, and so then I would go back to OA because I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Clearly I'm addicted to flour and sugar. And so I would just go back and forth between these sort of like two, what I now think of as extremes, right? Like, you know, no flour, no sugar, meal plan, go to OA, go to meetings, you know, don't eat outside of your meal plan no matter what. And then I would go to this other extreme of, you know, just only eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And it was all, I mean, 
the commonality between these two things was that they were still both control mechanisms to try to make my body look a certain way. I mean, at the end of the day, they were both, they, they seemed like opposites to me. In my mind, they were opposites. I was like, which one of them? It's gotta be one of the two. One of the two has to be the answer because like up things. One says you, your body can't be trusted at all and you need to just eat the meal plan and just shut the hell up. And the other one says, no, your body has the answers to all of this, but you need to like, you know, rigidly follow your body's commands at all times and like never, you know, eat when you're not hungry and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, it, they felt like opposites to me. They felt like the only two options on the table. Like in my mind at that point, I was like, this is it. It's one or the other. And I couldn't, I was kept binging it in both of them. And so I would just go back and forth, unable to decide. And it, I didn't realize that actually they were still both diets. Like I didn't, I had no language to understand that actually they were both at the end of the day, the same effing thing. Because I was just like, they were both me desperately just trying to squeeze my body into like this, like my square peg of a body into this round hole that I thought it was supposed to look like. It was just, they were both just desperate attempts at trying to get my food, quote unquote, under control. When in reality, you know, I now recognize my food is not meant to be controlled. My body is not meant to be controlled. My body is meant to just instinctively exist however it wants to exist and just, you know, whatever I want to eat is okay. And like, that's fine. And then I'm just going to end up, oh wait, and we'll get there, okay. so. Finally, at some point, I remember going back and forth between OA and intuitive eating and being like, which one is it? Which one is it? And not and just not being able to, quote unquote, get my food under control in either situation. Like I would end up binging in both of these situations. And, and I remember like, you know, having my last final binge in, in OA and being like, I can't ever do this again. Like I cannot do this meal plan thing. Like just the thought of it is like making me have like PTSD flashbacks. Like I'm done with OA. Like I can never do this again. Like I put that down. And then I had my final, okay, it's gotta be intuitive eating in quotes, right? Which again, at the time I was thinking was like the hunger and fullness diet. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it's gotta be this is the only answer. And I did this really, I was like, but I'm really struggling with Janine Roth. I need more support. So I actually went more aggressive on the hunger and fullness diet. And I joined this like Christian intuitive eating. I was doing this like Christian intuitive eating program, um, Christian hunger. I mean, it was really Christian hunger and fullness diet. Like it was like, they were super intense about it. They were like, every time you want to eat, when you don't have a growl in your stomach, you read the Bible. Like that was wow. the message. Oh yeah. No, it was like super intense. And PS, I was not raised religious. Like I am not like I, my, neither of my parents practice Christianity, like this was the level of desperation that I had though, was that I was like, I will do anything. Like you want me to pray to like a jolly green giant. Like I will pray to a jolly green giant. If you think that he can, if it will use, it will keep me from, you know, it will make me thin basically. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I did this and I remember it was like, maybe, you know, however long I remember like you know, I basically was ended up accidentally, not accidentally, but like I ended up starving myself on this thing fell off the wagon so hard, had one of the most intense binges of my whole life. I was like in the fetal position. I couldn't go to work. Like I could not get out of bed for four or five days because I was just binging my brains out, having really intense heartburn. I mean like all the things. And I just remember thinking like I had this thought, I had this realization. And this is sort of like the basis of my entire business today at this point was like, oh my God, like I just can't 
control my food. Like, it's not like which control mechanism is going to work. It's like, I just can't control my food. I'm not capable of this. Every time I try to control my food, whatever that control mechanism is, every time I try to control it, every time I try to get a handle on it, every time I try to like, you know, like just wring its neck, trying to like make it do what I want it to do, I end up binging my brains out. Like I end up completely losing control. I end up completely wildly rebelling on the you know opposite side of the spectrum. And it was like, I had this very deep clarity that I was just not, I just couldn't do it. And if that meant that I was going to gain weight, fine. If that meant that I was going to just like be a bigger person, fine. Right. And I didn't like, at that time I was in so, I was in such deep hell around food that the fear of weight gain just wasn't as scary to me as the fear of staying in the hell of constantly dieting and trying to control my weight, right? It was like, for the first time in my life, I was more afraid of constantly having to deal with this BS of constantly like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to not eat? Can I, you know, don't eat this, don't eat that. I was more afraid of being in that place. It was like, I just couldn't be in that place one second longer that all of the sudden the fear of weight gain looked like peanuts compared to the fear of staying in that hell. And so it was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I'm done. Like, I give up. Like, I surrender. I give up. Like, Whatever I eat is fine, I don't care, I'm just gonna not worry about it, eat what I want, I just can't live like this anymore, screw it, you know? And I really, you know, it wasn't like, oh, screw it, now I'm gonna go binge my face off and try to figure it out tomorrow. Like, it was like a true deep, it was like deep in my body, it was like deep in my emotional like soul of, I just can't stand to care about this anymore. I don't care. Like, I just don't care. Like, I want my life to be about other things. Like, you know, I want to care about my friends. I want to care about my work. I want to care about, like, literally anything else. Like, I just don't have the energy to give a crap about this. Um, And so, yeah, like, it was like, I'm done. Like, I'm done trying to control this. Like, and if that means I gain weight, fine. And I gained some weight, you know, like, definitely like gained weight in the first probably year you know it interestingly enough I never even got back to my highest weight from when I was like my most height of binging um in high school like I never even got back to that place but like you know like like this worst case scenario in quotes didn't really end up happening to me I think that there you know depending on how much restriction is going on depending you know different people have different experiences with kind of weight restoration but for me it was like just relaxed and gained a little weight. It wasn't that big of a deal in reality. Again, different strokes for different folks, but it was just like, I got my life back. Maybe I got my life for the first time. It was like, since I was a little kid, I finally had the experience of just being able to care about other things. You know, like I just, I just didn't, um, it was like I had, it was like my whole brain opened up to be a human again, because I, my entire thought process wasn't run by like, what are you going to eat? What are you not going to eat? How are you going to not eat that? Are you going to eat mindfully? Are you going to sit at the table? Da, 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 da. Don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat. Like that whole ticker tape. That's how I describe it now. It's like food, thinking about food and what to eat and what not to eat and how to eat and when I was going to eat. Like that was the ticker tape 
in my brain, like in the background of my brain at all times. Like it was like, so I was like having conscious thought. I would have conscious thoughts like, oh, I have to go to work. And in the background, it would be like, what are you going to eat for lunch? What are you going to do? Right? Like constantly in the back of my brain, like ticker tape going around my brain was just this food loop. And it was the background noise of my whole life forever up until this point. And I was just like, I just don't care. Like, I just, I just can't just, I, I just can't deal with this. T- like, I, I just don't care. And the ticker tape stopped because I, I was like, I don't care. And, and really that came from really, really, really deciding that it was, if I gained weight, fine. You know, like mm-hmm. if I gain weight, okay. Like, I don't care. Right. Because it's that it was, I, I had to get to that point where I was not going to let my weight, like just dictate my every move. Um, and that was, and then, and I, and I never binged again, really not like that. I mean, I, I've certainly had moments of like getting really full or like overdoing a dinner. PS, I still have moments where I get really full or overdo it at dinner. Like that doesn't go away. And I now recognize that as like a part, normal part of the human experience. But I did, but I never had those like super aggressive, like in the fetal position for days kinds of binges. Like that never happened to me again because I just, I just relax, you know, there was nothing to rebel against. There Mm -hmm. was nothing to react against. Like if I get really full of dinner, I don't need to go and finish off the rest of the cabinets because day one starts tomorrow. Like I can just be full and just not really care about it and just, you know, not give a hoot, you know, like whatever, got really full, moving on. Like it doesn't, it stopped emotionally terrorizing me. And I recognized that that was like a hundred percent because I wasn't terrified of weight gain. Like it was like that fear of weight gain just became, it just got put in its place um, by this realization that, you know, it's just not worth it. Like it's really, it's just not worth it. Um, So yeah, so that's, and then, you know, I started writing about this. I mean, end of the story is that I ended up writing about this and blogging about this. And again, you know, uh, worked at, I was working at the Integrative Institute for Integrative Nutrition towards the end. So I was sort of like the coaching world. Somebody caught a hold of my blog. And, you know, this was back in the day when most people who were talking about intuitive eating were doing intuitive eating for weight loss, right? They were doing the hunger and fullness diet. I mean, to this day, most people still are doing the intuitive eating, you know, diet. I mean, now it's still most people talking about intuitive eating are doing hunger and fullness diet. But at that time, literally pretty much everyone was unless they were actively health at every size, which was a very small number of people mainly like older women from the seventies in San Francisco. Like it was a very, very, very small portion of people at that time who were actively talking about health at every, every size. Very few people on the internet were talking about health at every size. And quite frankly, no thin people were talking about health at every size at that point. I mean, health at every size was really something that exclusively fat activists were talking about. I didn't even have the language of health at every size at that time. Like I didn't recover. I didn't know about health at every size when I had this realization. I learned about it later because I started writing this blog and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And like, wow, my life is so much better now that I don't care and I don't worry about it. Like everything is so much better. And let me tell you how I did this. Um, and I just started blogging about it and people kind of got a hold of it and were like, you need to check out this chick Isabel Fox and Duke. 
And then I started getting like writing opportunities and getting interviewed by people and blah, blah, blah. And this was all like, you know, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, something like that. So it was, you know, a very new idea. And now it's sort of becoming more popularized. I remember it was a couple years, maybe a year-ish after I started really writing my blog. And my blog was kind of getting more um, coverage. Uh, I uh, started doing more of my own research about, you know, body positivity, basically. I didn't have that language either, but I was like, well, body images, I was like, I recognize that the key to all of this, I recognize that the only reason I have sanity around my food is because I'm not controlled by my weight anymore. And I'm okay with my weight, whatever it may be. Like, I know that that is what, that is the foundation of my recovery is that I'm, I'm, you know what, like I'm comfortable with my body. Like that doesn't always necessarily mean I like think I'm so hot or think I'm so this, although I think I've learned a lot of skills to get, you know, there a good portion of the time as, as my recovery, you know, moved on from that point. But fundamentally, right. I just accepted it, right. Like it's not about liking or loving. It was like, fundamentally, I just accepted my body. I just was, this is just it. Like I just, I can't bother to try to change this. Like every time I try, I just end up in this hellish place. Like it just is what it is. Like say la vie, you know, that was sort of the attitude I took, you know, and you know, it doesn't, again, doesn't mean I never had like a bad body day or anything like that. I was just not willing to get in the ring with food. I was not willing to get into the ring of trying to control it, of trying to make it different. It was just like, you know what? It is what it is. And that's just the end of the story, right? I'm not going to screw around with my food over this. It's just not worth it. Um, and yeah, so anyway, yeah, by and large. Anyway, ended up getting hooked up with a lot of fat activists after starting my blog. I mean, I was already coaching when I learned about health at every size and when I learned about fat activism. The first fat activist I ever learned, you know, ever kind of really heard about, whoever really taught me what fat activism was, was Virgie Tovar, who's now one of my, literally one of my best friends on the planet. Um, and, you know, like that was, you know, the beginning I got kind of hooked up with the health at every size folks, you know, started writing about that, started talking about that. I, I was like really amazed that science actually validated my experience. Like I was like, oh, there's science about this. And it's been around since like the 60s. And no <laughs> one told me, no one told me that actually diets just don't work. Like 95% of people have this experience where they just go up and down and up and down and up and down, diet binge, diet binge, diet binge. That's most people's experience. It is incredibly rare for somebody to just lose a bunch of weight and keep it off. That hardly ever happens. And the people who it's happening to are often completely obsessive and nuts about food. Like that information I never got, right? Like, and I'm like, this how how is this possible that this information was like kept out of my hands for so long? How come I had to go through all that hell in order to figure out that at least I can't control my food? I don't know about other people, but I can't do it. You know, and but then, you know, again, my, my coaching practice, I think, really came and my blog and all of these things really came to a head once I discovered health at every size and weight set point theory and the science around that, because I was like, oh, wow, like it's not just me. It's not just, right? It, this is not just Isabel's experience. This is everyone's experience. Like, this is the reality of the diet industry that no one is effing talking about because it's not profitable for the most part. And it doesn't, you know, there's billions and billions of dollars worth of um, industry money trying to keep this information out of people's hands. You can um, make a lot of money selling people a problem that doesn't work or selling people a, a program that doesn't work. Right, right. Because <laughs> then they keep coming back. 
lot of money. In fact, and I would say selling a problem is actually a good way to say it. Yeah, you can well, make that's a lot too. of money selling a problem that can't be solved. You can make mm-hmm. a lot of money getting people obsessed with a problem that cannot be solved because if they become obsessed with a problem that cannot be solved, they're going to be obsessed with it for the rest of their life and you're going to have a subscription service on your hands, which is basically what Weight Watchers is, right? It is a yeah. life long subscription service where you are constantly on the hook going back you know un- never getting an actual permanent result for the rest of your life right like- we literally just had that our last podcast episode we like decoded weight watchers and yeah i mean it's essentially getting people hooked um, yeah. And these companies totally prey on people's insecurities and mm-hmm. what people deem as their shortcomings right. or they right. prey on people who feel like they don't have self-worth in certain aspects and yeah, yeah so we've totally yeah. decoded that we're going to sell you short-term weight loss full knowing that it only works in the short term and then when you eventually lose it when you eventually go the other way we're going to make you feel like crap about it and then we're going to resell you the product again and just keep going in a cycle round and round and round over and over and over and over and over and over over again so yeah so that was so i mean that's sort of the story you know interestingly enough like and I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, like one of the things that I realized that I've really come to realize in the past probably three or four years um, was that, you know, I definitely fall into the category of people where like for me, this was not just about misinformation. This wasn't just about, um, you know, uh, kind of being sold this lie. Like I also really recognize that like, I am a super controlling person who wants to, who thinks that they control the universe, whether that be my body or whether that be my partner or whether that be my career or whether that be whatever it is. And that also is very culturally dictated. Like, I don't mean to say that this isn't cultural. It is absolutely cultural. It is absolutely like a product of living, you know, in the world that we live, right? It's like, you know, kind of like capitalistic, you can do it, meritocratic society. Um, but diet industry, you know, the diet industry from my vantage point, is just like one effed up aspect of this greater cultural problem called like, it's all on you and you can get whatever you want and you can make it happen. And you are the dictator of your destiny. And if you want to be 102 pounds, you can be 102 pounds. And if you want to be, you know, a hundred millionaire, you can be a hundred millionaire, right? Like that message is so intense in our culture and it's really it was very, 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 very damaging to me because I, you know, it was like, I felt like even after I stopped dieting, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders around work all of a sudden. Like all of a sudden work became the thing that I was obsessively trying to get a handle on and obsessively trying to do perfectly and do correctly. Um, Or relationships, another perfect example. Like I was constantly like trying to figure out the answer to like long-term coupled happiness. Again, highly cultural in both instances, highly cultural, but it's like, Highly cultural in the sense that, like, I think I should be in a relationship. Highly cultural in the sense that, like, I think I should make this certain amount of money or have this specific type of success. But even deeper than that, it's cultural that, like, I'm in control of everything and I can make the universe go my way if I'm just perfect enough, right? Or if I just do it right. And so there's, like, all these different layers around it. And that's honestly what's really kind of, like, makes me hot today. Like, that's what really Mm -hmm. I'm, like, kind of into today professionally is, you know, when the clients that I really enjoy the working with the most are the clients where it's like we get 
to a certain point in their relationship with food where food is no longer the issue, right? Like, and that's really, I mean, that's super exciting. Like how many health coaches can say that? Where like, they actually get their clients to a point where food's just not an issue. Um, like that's a gift. But I get to a point with my clients where like food stops being the issue and they're like, yeah, like it's just food, you know, whatever, who cares? My body is what my body is. Say la vie, I'm over it, right? I'm done. And then they recognize all of a sudden that this like, desire to control and this sort of perfectionism stuff and all of these other, you know, qualities that I think diet and, you know, sort of diet culture really exemplifies can show up in all sorts of other ways. And yeah, and that's, that's really exciting for me because that's really, that's still relevant for me today. Like I'm still personally working through all of that despite like not having dieted or really given a crap about my food or weight in like, you know, a long, long time. Yeah, it's um, like this journey so towards yeah. healing. There are so many layers, so many layers. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, well, I have some of my favorite quotes of yours, and these are these are quotes and concepts that you spoke about that that really struck a chord with me. And these are concepts that I feel like a lot of our listeners will be very. Um, will affect them greatly. And and I, I realized when I was emailing with the with all of us, when we were on our email thread, um, I said that I discovered you through Christy Harrison's podcast, but it was actually Leanne Vogel's um, podcast. Cool. And uh, as That's I was cool. racking my brain trying to really recall like that first day or the first instance in which I heard your story, it all came back to me so, so, so clearly. So the reason why I was listening to Leanne's podcast was because I had been on a almost year long intermittent fasting slash keto journey and um, it spiraled very, very, very quickly out of control. But I was on Leanne Vogel's podcast for just more keto help because I was like, okay, well, the, the better I can get at the ketogenic diet, the thinner I can be, the thinner I can be, the thinner I can be. This was about in um, March, so just a few months ago. And I had finished listening to one of her podcasts, but I was listening on YouTube. And then it just auto-played, and yours was the one that just played next. And I remember I was doing some housework. Yes, totally. I was doing some housework. And at this point in time, I hadn't even addressed that my intermittent fasting had gotten out of control. I hadn't even addressed that my um, orthorexia had completely gotten out of control in in the span of a very few short months. uh, My entire story is pretty much a parallel of yours from about maybe age three to college. And then after college, when I dove into the personal training world, I was like, yeah, health at every size, body positivity. And a big focus of mine was helping everyone I knew, all my clients, all my friends, just love their bodies. And and I felt like that started the healing process for me, but I realized it just kept it at bay for almost 10 years. And then everything just came back with a vengeance starting last um, August when I dove into the intermittent fasting world. And then when a fitness opportunity came up that I realized that I needed to lose weight to make this happen. Whereas in this fitness world, I've, I've just created like a health at every size world, you know, I've created my own kind of mark in the industry. So then you're but for everybody else, not for you, for everybody else, not for me. I thought for me, um, but I didn't even realize how much I had still left unresolved. So your podcast started playing and I was listening to it and I could feel myself as you were telling your story. I had an anxiety attack while I was <laughs> listening. 
because <laughs> I had suppressed memories that you, by telling your story, came up of traumatic binges. Um, painful purges like I'm talking like blood on the bathroom floor like me trying for like hours and hours and hours at age 14 to just like I was a bad bulimic I was like just couldn't like my gag reflex just like sucked and I like hated myself for that um, and for me like the compulsive exercising started around age 12 and um, just like the shame and just moments of me like really not feeling worthy of being on this earth uh, but then I thought I got a handle on it. Like, as I got older and older, I was like, okay, cool. You know, all right, I love my body. I love my body. I'm going to help other people love their bodies. Um, and then at age 32, intermittent fasting fell into my lap. And I thought to myself, this is the answer. Oh my mm. gosh, nothing has changed my body ever. My body's been about the same weight for the past like 10 years since I've quote unquote healed from everything. And then I thought to myself, this is the answer. Because in all my time of disordered eating, I could never be anorexic. I could be for like maybe a few hours, but then I would, go, then I would, um, then I would binge. Um, and then I would hate myself and then I'd feel like I wanted to die. So I was in this world of intermittent fasting and the keto diet so just no carbs, no sugar, nothing. And then you're, I started listening to your interview that day in March. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, it was as if suppressed memory after suppressed memory after repressed memory just all came like flying out. And I full on like couldn't breathe. I was kind of hyperventilating. And I thought to myself, oh my, I thought this was done. I thought I was done. I thought I was healed. I thought I was recovered. And uh, Isabel, because of that one podcast I listened to, and then of course I listened to so much of your other, all the other interviews, inter interviews you have done. Um, I realized that by that point in time, I had lost so much weight that I had lost my period. Um, my, I had lost at that point in time about a third of my hair, just like coming out by the fistfuls from at this point in time, maybe about eight months of intermittent fasting, which started off as just like the 16-8 protocol, like 16 hours, uh, you know, of fasting, eight hours of eating. And it quickly turned into I could do a 48-hour fast where I would do nothing but apple cider vinegar. And I'd be like, oh, it's OK. It's OK. I'm hitting autophagy. My cells are cleaning themselves out. Um, this is exactly what so many thought leaders are promoting right now this is not starvation this is not anorexia I'm doing this because this is good for my body and I was like it's so easy it's so easy I literally set a timer on my phone um, and I heard your podcast and it was literally that exact same week that my body broke it was as if my body could literally handle no more all the weight that I had killed myself like busted my ass trying to lose those eight months um, for the just like getting addicted to getting thinner and thinner and thinner, I gained back in the course of what seemed like three days. Uh, and then I knew I needed to get help. So it was crazy. And I'm so relieved that this whole experience happened because it was like, I think the universe's way of being like, there's just one more layer of healing you need to do. And when you do it, freedom is so possible. And, um, you know, there is, you can make it to the other side. And I'm so happy to say that with the help of all your content and with the help of all your material and then me working with Holly Toronto one-on-one -on -one, like the last um, few months, like 
freedom is like freaking awesome. And there were concepts that, and it's, it was a little bit faster actually than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. I mean, because when you spoke about kind of your healing journey and your healing recovery, I realized that the second you cleared up some concepts in my head, you literally like flipped a freaking switch. Like Mm. um, one of the big ones was about binge eating. I never fully understood like why binges happened. And I just thought that there was something fundamentally wrong with me. But you said something that I wrote down right away the first time I heard it. But binging is a result of emotional or physical deprivation. Mm-hmm. So it, or it's like a result of that restriction. So the second mm-hmm. that restriction is lifted, it's like the urge to binge goes away. Basically, like yeah. Crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about um, falling off the wagon is not the problem. The wagon <laughs> is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you also say, uh, you, one of your quotes I wrote down, I was never able to truly heal my relationship with food, including my binge eating behaviors, until I put all the attempts at dieting down and started pursuing health in weight neutral ways. And um, I realized that in my... 33 years of life, I didn't know what it was like to not pursue weight loss and like lifting that veil and like just being okay. And just knowing that life was essentially, um, complete hell when (laughs) you're just trying to like control and restrict all the time. Uh, and like the freedom of that is so worth it. Even if it means like some type of fluctuation in your weight, it's so worth it. And then there's another concept that you talk about. You brought up, um, you brought up uh, thinking about that person who was just like whatever about food. Like thinking about that person. You use this analogy of like the seventeen-year-old boy with like the backwards cap, and it's like he would never eat like multiple jars of Nutella because he would just feel physically unwell. So why would he do that to himself? And that for me also clicked. It just clicked. <laughs> like there's if when the, when there's no restriction when there's no mental restriction or emotional deprivation, the need to binge kind of goes away. And then when you really think about it, putting yourself into the point of like physical pain Mm -hmm. and discomfort, just out of fear of not being able to either eat it the next day or you haven't eaten it, whatever it is in a while. Um, And so a big thing was like, just having this image, I I use my younger sister's boyfriend as my like visual, like backwards cap. And, um, and like, that was kind of like the kickstart of a lot of concepts and mindsets that have completely shifted for me. Yeah. And, and I'd like to just mention about the backwards cap. I mean, another thing about, the, you know, another reason why your average guy with the backwards cap doesn't eat three jars of Nutella in a sitting, right, is because the kid with the backwards cap has no problem eating real food, right? right? And so they're not starving, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's a, another really important thing to realize is, like, the kid with the backwards hat is going to go have a burger with fries, you know, and then maybe he'll have dessert or, you know, whatever, or he'll have something sweet. I mean, my boyfriend, my boyfriend loves sweets. So I'm like, dudes eat sweets too. Um, but like fundamentally, like they eat meals, like they're feeding themselves in a way that dieters are often not right. Like dieters are constantly just trying to eat as little as possible. And then fundamentally it's like, they end up in the kitchen cabinets and they're like, really hungry and the Nutella is just like there and like they may not even recognize that they're hungry like I didn't really recognize that I was 
hungry. I, in my mind, I was just like, I want food. 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 And I didn't even sort of realize that like part of that was not only, you know, emotional deprivation, but also just straight up physical deprivation, you know, like of just not getting enough. Like people need much more calories that all the thing people need more food than diet culture tells them that they need. Right. And so it's like, you know, I, you know, I'll have Nutella, don't get me wrong, but like, I'm also going to go have a burger with fries. I'm also going to have like, you know, a real like lunch with like real, all the things, bread, mayonnaise, all the things, you know? Um, and you know, I feed myself, like I give myself like good filling meals with lots of calories on a regular basis. And so I'm not dealing with a constant like low level energy deficit all the time, which I think most dieters are trying to put themselves in, you know? So, you know, I think emotional restriction, that's sort of like, I feel like kind of like a little bit of like my, like my claim to fame or something like people always talk about that. But one thing that I always really want to harp on, I think I don't spend, I haven't spent enough time talking about in my past is, you know, you also just need more food than you think. And in the, in like the, you know, when there's an energy deficit of any kind, right, if you go, you know, three or four days, just not getting the calories that you need, that jar of Nutella is going to stare you down, you know, unless you go get a burger with fries right now. Um, so yeah, Um, throwing that out there. (laughs) It's not going to be too long before I have to let both of you go. So I wanted to ask, you a question about um, something that both of you mentioned, which is this um, moment of sort of like, you describe it as like, I surrender, like, I, I'm just done with this. Um, mm-hmm. And and you sort of describe, you said like a flip, or a switch flipped. Mm-hmm. It was a complete um, breakdown. <laughs> if you're a person who, and, and this is the position that I was in when I first started working with Daphne all those years ago, is I, I felt like I was, I just couldn't make the right decision. Whether I was dieting, I felt like that wasn't right. If I wasn't dieting, I felt like it wasn't right. I just, I was thinking about it all the time. If you're a person who is in the place where you are thinking about food all the time, maybe you're in like a dieting and binging cycle. Maybe it's not even at that point, but you just feel like food and eating is taking up too much of your brain. If you want to get to that place where the switch flips, do you have any suggestions for steps you can take things you should listen to or read, people you should talk to to help get to that place. Because I think um, it's it's so great hearing people's stories of having that moment of realization, except if you're waiting for your own and then you're like, but how do I get my moment of realization? How do I switch my flip my own switch? I mean, well, first of all, go to my blog, isabelfoxenduke.com, <laughs> yes. and seriously, just read it. Um, and, and sign up for email updates. Cause I do like a little, like I have like a whole like email nurture funnel that literally goes through like all these like kind of very core basic concepts of like what needs to, how you need to fundamentally be thinking differently about food and weight, right. In order to heal your relationship with food. So seriously do that. And also stopfightingfood.com If you go to my video training series, really also important introductory, you know, this is what's up like much more. I mean, today we talked about my story, but if people want the how to's and a little bit more of the theoretical concepts, definitely go to stopfightingfood.com. And I hope you guys will put both of those links in the show notes. We will. Um, Yeah. So again, there's a few different levels, right? Like as far as, you know, if people are new to intuitive eating and have completely never heard of intuitive eating, that's not a bad book to check out. Like, go see it. It won't fix you. 
but it's an there are important theoretical concepts to kind of just generally understand as a starting point right like intermittent fasting doesn't work let's talk about what it means to like be eating in alignment with our bodies just generally speaking so like that's like a very very basic like step one that people can do again intuitive eating in and of itself not going to heal you not going to fix you probably i mean some people have that experience it wasn't my experience um you know you kind of need to do like that deeper surrender letting go work um but it's a good place to start for people i think i think it's an important like frame of reference to have um and then you know i think you know you said i was constantly in my head making decisions around like food fundamentally if you are in your head feeling like you constantly have to make decisions around food and you're thinking about food all the time you are trying to control it period right like in the absence of trying to control if you just decided well, i just don't give a shit, it's fine right and and let go of the concept of right and wrong around food just let it go and let your just instincts take over i say instincts because i think hunger and fullness like there are a lot of issues with talking about hunger and fullness one of them is that a lot of most people i think underestimate their hunger um and so or like we'll have judgments about like you know is this did i get too full did i am i hungry enough did that right like a lot of diet mentality stuff can still come up in the context of hunger and fullness so i'm much much bigger fan of like just talking about instincts like if you want to eat eat right and eat like filling actual real meals right like bit like have food right <laughs> right like eat real food like make peace with real food go have a burger with fries when you want to eat something go have you know chinese takeout when you want to eat it whatever it is right like making peace with foods that you've probably never eaten before you know that aren't just okay well i guess i'll have like a finger lick of the nutella from my um cupboards because i kind of want to eat something and i'm thinking about it it's like okay i think a lot of what's interesting to me about a lot of dieters is in their mind it's like egg whites and whole wheat toast or i'm going to eat a jar of nutella like there's no in between like it's only like effectively like quote unquote binge foods which basically means just like high calorie foods that are in my cupboards that i can eat can, that i can eat discreetly and quickly right or you know my diet foods and people completely forget about you know just what about a burrito you know like it's like diet like seriously it's like i had never had a burrito like an actual burrito with like all the things with like sour cream and like all the things in my entire dieting career and i literally remember like part of letting go of dieting was like rediscovering actual food and that's a that's a real um challenge i think for people who are coming into the non-diet approach one of the biggest challenges for people getting into the non-diet approach when they quote unquote let go of control right and they're just like whatever i'm just going to eat what i want is like it doesn't even occur to them to like go to dinner and order a steak free doesn't even occur to them like in their minds they're like okay i'm going to go i get i can eat whatever i want so i'm going to go eat like you know mallow mars out of my cupboard and that's fine eat the mallow mars but like they're not going to satisfy you. They're not going to like make you full and like make you just like feel good and satisfied so you can move on with your day. Like if you want to feel good and satisfied and so you can move on with your day, like go even have a slice of pizza, you know, like and so um I think that that's, you know, one thing that I just like to mention because I think that that's something that people don't talk about enough. Um but yeah, fundamentally it's like if you're really just surrendering, if you're really just like I don't care, like I just don't care. Like 
like I don't need to have a back and forth in my head about what I should or should not eat because like it's all okay. Like if I eat the Malamars, that's fine. If I want to like not be hungry anymore for real so I can get back to my work, I'm going to go, you know, have a sandwich at the deli. Like that's all it really is. It's, it's letting go, eating whatever you instinctively want and like remembering that real food exists, like in case you want that, like in case like that makes you feel good. And the only reason I even mentioned that is because so many dieters, I think they really do want a burger and fries and they just, it doesn't even occur to them that that is an option. Like it doesn't even occur to them totally, that yeah. they can do that. Like you can go to a restaurant and order a steak free and it's going to be really good and satisfying. You're going to get super full and like, move on with your day. Um, so yeah, like I just, anyway, this, I kind of got a little off track with the steak free and the burrito, but, um, (laughs) this all to say, like, if you're having this dialogue in your head about like what I should be eating and thinking about food and what's right and what's wrong and da, 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 like fundamentally, like that just means you have like diet cultural beliefs about how your food should look. And you can decide to just let that go and be like, screw it. I don't care. Like, it's like my body's fine. My food is fine. Like, this is all BS. Like, I don't need to spend my life worrying about what I'm going to eat. Like, I can just relax and let food happen to me. That's a big thing that I often say to people in my coaching programs is like, stop trying to do your food mm-hmm. and just let food happen to you a little bit. Like, just relax and just see what happens. Just like, see what you end up eating you know, remembering that you can have a hamburger with fries, you can have a burrito, you can have real food, right? Because there is, um, like, I think that there's this, you know, this, this constantly, like, I have to do it, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, we forget that we're animals. Like, you're an animal. Like, you literally have instincts around food, like you have instincts to like, go to the toilet, or like, breathe oxygen in and out, or whatever, right? Like, in the absence of you thinking about it at all, you'll still eat, right? Like that, that instinct to eat is there. You won't starve if you just relax and don't worry about it. Like, like yes. food, if you relax and just don't worry about it and just like, I'm done. I can't even bother to be thinking about this. Food will just kind of happen to you. Like at some point it's going to be like, I need food right now. It'll be like an alarm bell will go off in your brain. Like, give me food and you'll, you can go do it. And that's it. That's literally like, it really is that simple. I think for most people, the hard part is dealing with the body image issues Mm -hmm. and really realizing, letting go of this delusion that I can make my body look the way I want it to look. Personally, I think that that is the fundamental bottom line. Like there is no healing from any of this. You cannot do what I'm telling you to do around releasing control around food unless you are willing to do the body image work and like fundamentally accept your body for what it is. That does not mean liking or loving your body. That does not mean thinking I'm super sexy. That does not mean not even like maybe getting upset at my cellulite or whatever, or like having feelings that, are, that are, aren't always positive about my body. It means none of that. It just means fundamentally accepting it. Accepting it like I accept that the sky is blue, right? Like it doesn't matter whether or not I like that the color of the blue sky. Like it just doesn't matter whether or not I like the sky being blue. Like it's blue. It's, it's just blue. <laughs> and I just, that's just the deal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so like, like, and so that, that work is really, I think the groundwork and that's the type of stuff that like, you're not going to get that from an intuitive eating. You'll get a little of it from reading health at every size, sort of, right? Like you can get some like set point theory stuff from health at every size, but like that like fundamental, like spiritual, like really recognizing that like in the absence of disordered eating, your body just is what it is. 
Like, it just, you know, like, that's just the bottom line. It just is what it is. It doesn't, you know, I hope that you have positive feelings about it. And guess what? That's kind of hard to do in our culture because our culture is really, really good at tearing, especially women's bodies apart. But fundamentally, right, you could theoretically not have positive feelings about your body. But if you just accepted it, like you were like, this, oh, oh, well, this is it. Like the way I accept that the sky is blue that's really where the protection from the food crazy comes. Like the food crazy is about trying to change my body, trying to do something about it, trying to control it, trying to get it under my thumb, trying to like get it, you know, under my control, trying to make it go my way. As -hmm. opposed to realizing that like my body is a biological organism that gets to do whatever the hell it wants. Totally. Amen. Well, um, like you said, uh, the places to go for more of Isabel's work are your blog, IsabelFoxandDuke.com, and your video training series, which is at StopFightingFood.com. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Um, Isabel, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, uh, It was great. This was fun. This was an extremely important conversation. So thank you so much for, for being here. Like there are so many so many men and women out there who are hearing concepts they've never heard before and are facing things that maybe they haven't wanted to face. And uh, the work you're doing is truly incredible. So thank thank you. you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. That's really nice. Um, I'm so glad. And I, yeah, I hope you got everything you wanted out of this interview and I hope everyone listening, you know, got something out of this interview. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, help subscribing, and to join us on Patreon, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.